Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So Jonah, this is our take two, because when we did this last time, I think we talked for 40 minutes and didn't even record. And then you had somewhere to go. I'm like, that was really fun. I didn't record any of it. So we get to actually record this um, because you were so much fun to talk to. We had things in common, like working for Jean and Ryan and just your story is so fascinating. And you're also pretty damn witty. So I end up laughing for most of it. So we're just going to do what we did. We're just going to chat and I would love to hear your story and I might direct it twice, but I think you could probably, I could just go bing and you'll go. <laughs> we'll just let you tell your story of how you came to be a, did you guys even call it Kelly? I think the names have changed. You're not a Bluebell girl, obviously. You're not a Bluebell dancer. No. I don't even know what they've done with that name. So we were, we were just the boys, but we, we knew we were the Kelly boys. Okay. Like, so it was there. The history was still there, but it had kind of lost its steam, I guess you can say. Yeah. But we, we were aware of it. Yeah, Did you know had, much of the, when you were in the show? Because I know before, like, we'll talk about how you, like, where you came from, from training and, like, what options are there out there. That, like, I just interviewed a friend of mine that was in the show in the 90s, and he didn't, he didn't know what Bluebells were, and he was in the show for a year. And I oh. think it was, yeah. So it's like, I think there's people I've talked to now that know more about the history of who Bluebell was than people that were working it in the 90s. It kind of got lost, and then maybe there's that desire to know more, like, well, who am I working for? Who am I representing? Yeah, we, we knew. Um, I think because it's, it's such a, I mean, it's not a, it's not a common name. It's, it's, you say, okay, well, there's two lines. One's the bluebells and one's the nudes. And it's like, well, why are they bluebells? What, is, what does that They're mean? They're flowers? I mean, yeah, because like, it's kind of like you have to, you kind of have to ask the question. If you don't ask the question, I feel like you just don't care at all. But you can't go into a, a big iconic show like that and you say, okay, you're a bluebell dancer and not ask, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, like, when you talk about, because even when you're being described, um, when you first get there, where you have the captain telling you how the show's working down, and, and he says, okay, then you have the bluebells that come in from, from this wing, you have to watch out for them, and you're like, the what now? So <laughs> the name comes up, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't directly speak to what they would be. You can't ex- expect um, a direct explanation of what a bluebell would be. Right. So you ha- but that like name is tossed out there. Like, yeah, you have right. to ask it. They say oh, it so casually. Right. So you had, you were not growing up in your small, in your town or big city, wherever you grew up knowing I'm going to dance as a bluebell Kelly boy. That was not, not on all. your radar growing up. So can all. you share like what your journey of dance and how, where it took you? Um, sure. So I started, I was super, super heavy into music. I was in the school band. I was playing band and orchestra. I was, I was playing the trumpet mostly. I had also studied the saxophone and piano and violin. Wow. And I had taught myself the flute, clarinet, trombone, tuba. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think what else. Basically every, every instrument, French horn, um, all in my mother's basement, which was fun for her to listen to because she happened to have a music program at the school that she was a principal at that was no longer in service. 
and the instruments were sitting there waiting for me to pick them up. Oh my gosh, that's a, that's amazing. <laughs> that's like yeah, a so dream come true only yeah. if you like music. Yeah, exactly. So I, I go in the back and I'd say, oh, I guess I'll take the trombone home today. And we'd go to the music store and I'd you know, get all the necessary books and et cetera, and because I had an understanding of reading music and all of that. Um, I could easily adapt what I had been learning because I had playing, I had been learning string instruments, woodwind instruments, and um, brass instruments. So I kind of understood uh, the basics of how they work. Uh, so I just go home and I would just practice and play and say, okay, on to the next one. I mean, and I wow. wasn't going to go and do any concerts on each of these instruments, you know, but I was getting a basic understanding because I really thought I wanted to be a music teacher. I thought that was yeah. my passion. Yeah. Uh, and then our middle school marching band had like a little dance, dancing part that went with it. And then we had like a certain group of us that would step away from our instruments to actually just dance. Um, and the dance teacher was kind of like, hmm, so you like to dance. And she did like the choreography and everything for the band members and for the, the majorettes and all that. So she was kind of like, okay, well, that's, that's, that's something that's interesting. Keep my eye on that. And I kind of started watching the dance program and I was kind of like, oh, I bet I could do that. I think I would mm. like doing that. And I talked to her and she was my counselor and she, she um, really, really uh, was someone who I really connected with as well as my English teacher in middle school, Miss Walker. Um, and her and Miss Moore were sorority sisters and they both were helping out with the, with the band program and the dancers. Miss Walker ran the, uh, the step team, which I was also a part of. And they kind of got together and they talked to my mother and they said, you know, cause my mother uh, also was in the education. So they knew each other and they, they spoke very, very easily. And then they're like, he, he's a dancer. Mm. Like he likes mm. music, but he, he is a dancer. And I got my first pair of tap shoes for Christmas and that was a mistake. Um, <laughs> I had never had any lessons and a lot of noise in that house that afternoon. Um, but the initially I was in dance class and I was in tap class and everyone in tap was also in ballet and jazz and modern. And I said, well, mom, I just feel like everyone else is doing ballet and jazz and modern. I should, I should probably do that too. Because the, the dance program in school had a lot of tap in it actually. So that's what really kind of caught my eye in the beginning. So I started doing classes with the other friends from the class, doing all the other styles and everything. And I just kind of really got swept away with it. And then I decided to join the dance program in school. And it was really kind of difficult to do dancing and the band at the same time. But because Miss Moore was really on my, Mrs. Moore was really on my side, um, they were able to let me work it. And they were like, oh, we've already like ordered costumes and all that for the, the concert at the end of the year. And me being me, I was like, oh, don't worry got my own and I had went out <laughs> and literally just like <laughs> bought a matching costume. <laughs> so if that doesn't say, well, he's a go-getter. I don't know what does, but she was like, well, I guess, uh, I guess I can't really say no to that. <laughs> so I was suddenly in the dance department. Um, and then I decided to go to, to dance high school. I decided to put down the, the instruments after middle school and say, okay, dance is really what, like I just fell in love with it. Um, so I auditioned for Detroit high school for fine performing arts. And I got in and I had to choose a major. They said, well, you can't do dancing and music. You have to choose one. And I said, well, it, 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 it has to be dancing. So um, I went there for two years. And then Can I ask, is that a school that's just for the arts? Arts and the, academics or? It's, it's academics, but it's, it's art-based. All focused, art-based. Okay, cool. Thank yeah. you. Well, I, I, did, I had to do English and science and all, all that every year. Okay. Um, 
And then I, in the summer, I believe between eighth and ninth grade, I went to Interlochen Arts Academy, sorry, Interlochen Arts Summer Camp and in Northern Michigan. And I made a really good friend there, William, who was also from the Detroit area. So we stayed friends after summer camp. We stayed close friends because we got along really well and we, we were neighbors. And we, were, we were artsy kids. So it was, it was nice to know someone, you know, different from my school. And um, he then later went to the academy, maybe a year later. And then he said, Jonah, you have to come to the academy. It is the best place on earth. Like, just take my word for it. It's just amazing. And I said, yeah, but it's boarding school. I don't know about that. Um, you know, boarding school is always kind of like that threat my mom used to give me when I'd be, a, when I would act up because I can't, you know. <laughs> I, I had my moments where she like she would get you know the brochure sent to the house from some military <laughs> academy and be like oh anything in the mail today and I go check and I'm just like oh yeah yeah also <laughs> I just spit my water out a little bit so yeah so, so that happened there yeah exactly so then I um I he being, he kept talking about it, talking about it, talking about it and I said well maybe that's something I need to do because I knew I started dancing a little bit later and I really wanted to pursue it as a career and I said maybe that's the, the kind of the big step I need and um the Detroit High School for Fine Performing Arts or DSA was really really great but I knew that Interlochen would be a step higher um and so you know I told my teachers at DSA I, I wanted to audition for Interlochen and they were really supportive and me and another friend from my dance school said we were going to just take the bus up and audition because we both wanted to go didn't ask our parents if they would, you know, take us. We just decided we were going to take the Greyhound. And my mother's like, I'm sorry, you're doing what? No, what? No. Does Chris's mother know that you want to do this? And I said, well, we just decided. And she goes, so if you want to go, I will take you to audition. And I know I will take Chris too if, his, if Felicia's not available, but you're not taking the bus to go audition. <laughs> you know, it's not like it is in the movies. Parents don't, loving parents don't usually let their kids just run away. So I was like, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> they'll send them to boarding school but not let yeah, them run away yeah, exactly <laughs> so I, I we went to the audition and uh I was able actually I got a full scholarship to go to Interlock Arts Academy good for you um, which was actually more than my college um wow so th that was kind of like something you know my mom saw the school and she knew that the that the summer camp was really great but when she saw the academy and just saw how much even from the summer school summer um camp that the academy really stepped it up she just couldn't believe it and she said oh there's no way you're not going to this school. She said, there, mm. there is no way you're not going here. And so luckily I, I, I passed the audition. Um, I, got, I won the full scholarship, which was amazing. There's only eight kids from the Detroit area that were on full scholarship in the entire school and it was international school. Wow. Um, so I was very, very fortunate to have received that from the Skillman Foundation. And um, while we were there, there was uh, the almost famous uh, TV show and it was about Jubilee and it was and skin tight. Um, and my roommate Gavin and I would watch this every week. Everyone else wanted to watch American Idol and the boys dorm had one TV. And so if everyone wanted to watch American Idol and only Gavin and Jonah wanted to watch Nearly Famous, we weren't allowed to watch it. So then we had to sweet talk the hall director into letting us watch it in his room, <laughs> um, which was like totally against rules, but we were like, but it's about our careers and our future. It's, it's educational. Yeah, exactly. So we, you know, we get into our pajamas and we go in and we, we'd watch, um, watch this, you know, show about these Vegas dancers and 
watching them audition and we're like, oh, we can, we can do that, right? Yeah, we can do that. Like, that's totally. And I was just like, I mean, at this point, I'd already kind of seen Showgirls as well and the movie. Yeah. And I was like, G-strings and glitter. Yep. That mm. seems like something I could do. <laughs> and so watching this show about their lives, I was like, that's absolutely what I want. That's, that is my, that's my, my goal. I want to go to Vegas and I want to be a showboy and I want the glamour and, you know, also being tall and thin, I was like, okay, well, I fit that also better than some other, you know, body types or other styles of dance. So I said, that's just really what I can see myself doing. It was over the top. It was lights and it was big sets and it was pyro and all that. And I said, that's, that's what I want to do. So I went to, um, I finished school and I got recruited by a school out in California, CalArts. And I was just very not happy there. Um, I actually found Interlochen to be a much more challenging and rewarding um, dance program in yeah. my college. And I said, well, this is backwards. Shouldn't college be harder than high school? Yeah. I never really happy. Um, dealt with a lot of bullying there from the other dancers because I had suddenly developed a ballet background from Interlochen which I was never a ballet boy growing up, but Interlochen really put that into me, which I was very grateful for. But that made me better at ballet than these other people which was, who were at a predominantly modern-based school. So they didn't like, and it was a few of us that came from North Carolina School of the Arts and Interlochen, and we were ballet kids. And they, cause I think the school trying to do something a little bit different that year with who they recruited not just taking just the modern kids, they're trying to take some, some jazz kids and some ballet kids. But at the same time, they also put us down for being those kids. Oh. So even, I mean, even, huh. even from the teachers, the teachers put us down. They made oh. us feel like we weren't doing as good because we dance to the music or we point our feet or we make it look so pretty. I said, well. Shame on you. It, 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 literally, <laughs> literally, wow. shame on you. How very wow. dare you? Like, oh. You're not dancing to wind chimes and someone screaming in a corner? <laughs> really? Who do you think you are? <laughs> so, oh, it, was just, it was just a very interesting experience. And then over summer break, um, spring break, um, rather, uh, we, someone saw an audition for Gina and Ryan's uh, cruise ships being posted for a Norwegian, which is on Norwegian cruise lines. There, it was posted somewhere. And we thought, well, let's go there and get some practice. We didn't need the job. We didn't know what cruise ship jobs were really about, but I had heard so much from my teachers at Interlochen about audition etiquette, and I wanted to put it into practice so that when I got to the place where I needed a job, all those silly mistakes that I might've made would be out of my system. Um, I mean, and to this day, I look at some people auditioning and I'm, I just say, did you never have anyone tell you how to go to an audition? How to dress for an audition? How to mm. behave in an audition? And I'll never forget one of the first things, Gina and Ryan was talking, Gina and Ryan herself, at her audition, standing there talking to a room full of people. And she's saying what she's gonna ask us to do. She's gonna wanna see, you know, this combination and then, then some ballet and then we might have you do some tapping. And people just started tapping right there while she's talking. And I'm standing there going, what makes you think she meant start tapping right now? In a group. I just kind of cringed a little when you said that. <laughs> exactly. And so I'm standing there and I'm, you know, having my good posture and I'm, you know, trying to be, you know, a good aud auditionee. And I'm watching these people just doing time steps as she's talking. And I just said, well, okay, so this is the nonsense that I heard about from Sharon. Very good. 
Okay. <laughs> so that was a really eye real eye opening experience. And then uh, I got the phone call from from Kevin from Jen and Ryan's office uh, like two weeks later, like eight o'clock in the morning my time because he was in Florida and I was in California. Scared the bejesus out of me. My phone rang. Woke up to, to grab my phone and grab my glasses, and somehow I threw my glasses across the room and into a lamp. <laughs> so Kevin must have thought that I would have just like fallen off of a cliff because of all the noise <laughs> you heard in the background and answered the phone. But I got my glasses. I got myself back together. He said, "Right, so we want to offer you a contract on the new part of Aloha." And I said, "Okay, cool, cool." Um, well, I'm in school and I have to call my mother because mm. I said as an educator, so. To call her and say, hey, mom, I want to drop out of college and go dance on a cruise ship. I wasn't that excited to say that to her. Yeah. But I said, so I have, to, I have to call you back if that's okay. And he said, uh, sure. Um, all right, sure. Let me know. And so I called my mom. I said, hey, they want me to go to Hawaii on a cruise ship. Those people who I auditioned for two weeks ago. And she goes, call them back. Call them back before they call somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. She goes, you hate that school. You hate it. The, the kids are mean. The teachers are mean. You don't want to stay there. She says, school will be there. This is an opportunity. You take it. Oh, I love your mother. R right? <laughs> so I, I call Kevin back and I say, okay, so what does this mean that I have to do? And he's like, we need to be for training in Hawaii in about a week. And I said, oh, I have finals coming up soon. Long story short, finals just kind of got skipped out on. <laughs> I was like, well, I got to go to Hawaii right now. <laughs> yeah. So... This final isn't really the most important thing in my life. Um, and I went to my teacher, perfect example of how non-supportive my teachers were. I went to them and I was prepared to have a conversation about wanting to take a break and come back later in the school year. And um, as I sat down and said, so I'm looking at not coming back in the fall. Before I could say, but I want to come back in the spring, the, the guy just goes, well, I already knew that. And I said, oh, Mr. Arrogant, okay, what was that now? And he was like, well, we figured you weren't going to come back. You're not happy. And I said, well, I was planning to come back in the spring after having a different experience. But that kind of reaction is exactly what makes me not want to come back because you're not supportive. And he called himself my mentor. We all were assigned mentors. And this was mine telling me you're not going to, we knew you weren't going to come back. And then also saying, well, you're going to take that job. You're not ready to be a professional yet. You're just going to fail. You're going to injure yourself and fail. Oh. And I said, well, aren't you just a cupcake? <laughs> Thanks for the inspiration. Thanks for the encouragement. Thanks for saying, well, wow, you got a job. That's what we're all here for is to get jobs. Are well, you sure? Have, a mentor would say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? That's okay yeah. to say. Yeah. That's perfectly fine to say, have you thought about it? That's what mentors are there for. But he just said, well, you're going to fail. What was wow. his name? Lauren? Lawrence? I don't even remember his name. He was so un unimportant in my life. He was like just some, some bitter old ballet guy. And I said, well, I don't need this. I don't need this kind of negative energy so thanks for your encouragement and goodbye and i said my mother was absolutely right as usual um i didn't like that place it wasn't the right place for me and i had a great time learning that i was doing new shows with gina and ryan that I'd never even thought about doing before um and i had michiko wilson ryan who was my um my stager who taught me the shows learned a lot from her she was a rocket um she was one of the longtime Rockettes, the ones who were just like, didn't have to audition again anymore. She was like, it's like, right, you're it, girl. Um, so she was super clean, super precise, super, let's say, strict. Um, taught me a lot, tough lessons that I've never forgotten, and I'm happy that I learned. There's a mentor in a different way. That, that was a mentor. 
that was a mentor. Yeah. Mm. That was a great first contract to have with her. Like she, she set my bar for my career very high um, because everyone after her, I compared to her. Like it, it was just like, well, Machika would never do that. Mm. And there's certain things that she said, you know, 18 years ago that just have stayed in my, in my mind and will just never leave me. Um, so yeah, so then, and then from the cruise ships, I met on my first contract, I met some people from Vegas. So we're in dancing in Vegas shows. And I was like, wait, you're in Jubilee, you're in Follies Berger. Oh my God, we need to talk. And they said, yeah, you're going to get right in Vegas, but don't go until you're 21. But at the time I was 19. And they were like, I remember Sarah told me, she said, Fluff will love you. You're exactly Fluff's type. Just, just wait till you're 21. So I did that. I did, I did a couple more ships. I waited until I was 21. I went to Vegas with some other jars, actually, um, who I didn't know at the time, but we met in the audition and it was just like family. Um, saw the show and there was no doubt in my mind that that was exactly where I wanted to be. What was, do you remember that experience of watch? Did you audition first and then see the show or see the show and then audition? Audition first, then saw the show. And the callback oh, was wow. the next day. We, we auditioned, we saw the show that evening, and they had the, had the lineup call back the next day with the cast. Can you tell, because we talked about this before, and I love your audition story, and I love the way you described seeing the show for the first time and how it's so much. So either way, you can tell the audition story first or seeing it, however you want to do that, because it's, you know, cruise ships are not, not glamorous. There's some great, beautiful costumes, but it's definitely, mm -hmm. this is a whole nother realm. It, it is another one. I mean, like, I, I was, I love the costumes that, that I had when I was dancing with Gina. I'll never forget my music note pants. I think every jar has had a version of the music note pants or the music note unitard. Um, everyone, <laughs> Gina loves a flame unitard. Everyone's had it. Um, I will show you my pictures. Colors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I remember I, I did the audition. And the audition, of course, like, we always audition for these shows. And then we see the show and it's like, oh, that's very different than I expected. And the audition was very kind of lyrically jazzy, but not really showgirl, showboy. We did like a, a ballet section, sure. And then we did, the combination was more um, lyrical, lyrical jazz. Oh, interesting. Um, was it a number from the show? It wasn't a number from the show. Okay. It was someone that would come in every year and do an audition choreography. I want to say her name was Joan but I might not be correct. But yeah, it was someone from outside of the show that would come in to do the audition choreography. And then I think that changed in the later years. Um, and that was just the new people. That's not when they re-auditioned. Yes. No, that was just I the came new in people. when the re-auditioning was done. Okay. But the old cast just had to do the lineup when okay. I came in, in 2007. That sounds correct, yes. Um, so I did the audition and then they say, okay, so you guys haven't seen the show, so we'll have you watch it tonight from the light booth. And just the, from the minute that the show started and the center girl came down with the two boys on each side and she had the feathers and the lights and the rhinestones and then she was topless. And I said, that woman is not petite. Because I was sitting <sighs> directly in front of her watching her come up from the ceiling and just the sheer glamour, which is everything that I wasn't even ready for. Mm. I, I had never seen a show like that because I had been to see the Follies Berger before and I remember watching the Follies and going kind of like huh oh okay that's a big hat <laughs> oh, they're very blue tights huh? under the jacket that's interesting okay huh? not my choice but you know all right 
but it, the, the feeling from that to Jubilee was just absolutely incomparable. Um, I, I just, just the glamour of them coming from the ceiling. I said, they're just hanging from the ceiling and they're not even doing anything. And this is the most fabulous thing I've ever seen. And apart from her being absolutely stunning, then you have these two handsome men on each side who are in these clean, crisp, white tuxedos covered in rhinestones. There's the, the definition of elegance. And as a male dancer, often we're, we're just like, right, put them in black. It's like girls in this gorgeous costume, just put the boys in black. And that's always what it is. And I was like, so yeah. for the men to be shown so prominently and in such an elegant manner really spoke to me as a male dancer. Um, and then, you know, the show continues and the curtains come up and then the tall nudes are rising from the basement on the stairs and even bigger hats. And it's just like, okay, well, where are they coming from? Oh, there's more men also in more beautiful costumes. And then the, the curtain goes up and then suddenly there's the three, the, the three principal women come through the curtains and they're being revealed one by one. And it's just like, her hat is so big, she can't fit through the curtain unless she turns sideways. <laughs> If that's not how you enter a room, I don't know how else you would do it. <laughs> and then the curtain goes up and it reveals the set pieces, which are 14 feet tall. And it's like, I'm sorry, people are dancing up there? <sighs> and you're just like, how does this even, how does this even happen? And then the mirror comes up and then there's more girls. It's like, where are you hiding these people? Because <laughs> at this point we had been on the stage, but we had no idea how the, the basement worked. We didn't know how the elevators worked. In the audition, we, we just saw the theater and the stage. We oh, didn't wow. know that it moved. We had no idea that it moved. Yeah. So seeing all these people coming up from everywhere, seeing all these gorgeous women, seeing all these glamorous costumes, seeing all these handsome, elegant men, hair side parted, combed over, gelled down. I, I just, I didn't know what else I could possibly do. If I, if I didn't get into that show, I would have burned down the building. I don't know. Which, I mean, I got to say that since they already had that happen once. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just like, this is, this is just what I meant to do. Um, and I just remember the entire show just being absolutely gobsmacked. Like, I, I could, when Samson and Delilah were descending into to the fiery brimstone and there was pillars collapsing and pyro shooting off and when the titanic sank and there's a lifeboat going across even with people in the lifeboat it's just like all the attention to those little details and taking the most simple thing and just saying but if we add all of this stuff it makes it a spectacle and that's what i enjoy it's all the spectacle of it and in that finale, seeing everyone come down for the finale was just magic. When the bridge came down over the audience and then you have the people running across just over your head, you have the side stages connecting everything. And it really, the entire theater came to life. Um, and that's what I think was so cool about the show is because you, don't, you, you watch other shows and you're just watching it from the stage. You're watching from the audience and you're watching the stage. When you go to, to Jubilee, you would see things happening all around you that you just never expected. You're watching Samson Delilah and you hear these singers and you say, well, wh where are the singers? And it's like, oh, she just is up there casually reclining on a gold swan head couch. Why did <laughs> I think she should she be. be standing somewhere? Right. <laughs> like that's, that's my silly fault. Should, should I have learned my lesson by now that clearly they're gonna be doing something grand and over the top? That's not necessary, but it's everything that you needed in your life. Yeah, oh my gosh. So yeah, it, it just, that was like the, 
for me, that was just like the cherry on top. I was like, this is it. I'm home. Done. And you didn't know you had the show yet, right? Because you had know. to come no, back. We didn't know. We had to so what was that like to get on that stage again after seeing what you saw? The stage probably seemed a little different than the day before so, the audition. Yeah, it was it was very different. And now I had seen all these gorgeous people on stage. And it's like, okay, so now you're going to line up with the current cast. And we're going to see how you fit in height and body-wise. And I said, okay, great. So then the cast, they say, you know, are you wearing underwear or dance belt, G-string? And I'm like, well, I'm wearing underwear, sure. And then so the, the, I, they line you up by male dancers, bluebells, and nudes. And if you're not sure yet for a female, if you're going to be bluebell or nude, you can line up with both groups. Um, and they'll, they'll look at you in the line and see how you fit. And then they have to see obviously what they need. Um, and so I, I'm there, you know, and, the, and all the current cast boys go first. And so they all are there and they're in their G-strings. And they're in like these like fun, colorful G-strings. They all have these beautiful bodies. Their hair is all side parted and coiffed and they're like, you know, lightly daytime makeup, you know. Um, yeah. And the mic is set center stage. And you can walk out, say your name, and stand front and back while Fluff and Diane are sitting in the audience. And I think Joel was there also, the music director, was also there. Um, and they're just there watching you stand in a G-string, practically stark naked, in the middle of this huge theater. And sometimes the door would be open and people would kind of wander in and say, oh, what's happening in here, honey? Oh, <laughs> what? People, we, yeah, we're not supposed to be here. <laughs> so that'd be awkward. But um, so all the boys have gone across. They've all said their name. They've stood front and back. Then it's my turn, and I wasn't prepared for this at all. So I had on my Astro Boy underwear. Um, <laughs> so everyone learned that that guy likes fun, fun underwear. <laughs> I call them fundies. So I was there in my fundies and my wooden-heeled coach loafers, and oh I go clacking out on the stage, the loudest thing you've ever heard on a metal stage and I say my name front and back and I just see about 18 boys on the other side of the stage watching and judging me arms folded heads tilted and I say well I'm very welcome and I walk towards them after I said my name just feeling so embarrassed <laughs> um and then I got into the height line and I kind of saw where I fit in I said okay so I'm like an average height here that's kind of cool because usually I'm always very very tall um, and then the girls went through the same thing. And, you know, for the girls, you have the current girls in their, you know, Victoria's Secret bra and panties. And it's been, they've been rhinestoned with Swarovski crystals and they have their show heels on. They have their, maybe a fake hair piece on. They have earrings. They have the full show lashes, the full 301s. And then you have the new girls coming in who are like in a training bra and high waist briefs and like a <laughs> character heel. And I said, yeah, <laughs> don't we look great next to these professionals? Like, you know, you, oh. you don't, you don't expect that. You have no idea because, you know, they do it every six months. They're, they're, they're ready. Yeah. And you're like my first time, don't know what to expect. Feeling very common. Um, mm. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you got through it. And it's, uh, imagine for the girls, it's nothing worse. And, you know, the boys, we're just kind of, boys are boys. So it was like, I'm not in a G-string. I'm in my astral brand underwear, but, you know, I'm still, you know, just a guy. But when you're in a sports bra and, and briefs next to a girl in a red crystal lace thong and bra with you know a fake ponytail and big lashes and red lips and big Swarovski earrings you don't feel like you're really living up to the part right it's a lot of intimidation happening <laughs> yeah, that day. yeah so um after that i'll have um fluff and diane wanted to talk to uh three of us three the three jars actually um and she actually offered 
the three of us uh, spots right there, which nice. was usually not how it went. Normally, it was like you had to wait a couple of weeks for a phone call, and you know they do other cities or whatever, and they do some considerations. But um, they took three of us right there on the spot, so that was really it just like dreams came true. Yeah. And I called and I like canceled my plan to get back home. I like called a realtor the next day to go look for an apartment. Had no idea where to live, and you know I think I went home. A few days later, I think I got the keys to my apartment. I found an apartment really, really quickly, just down the street from the hotel. Got my keys. I believe I went to Target. I got, I went, got my keys and I traded Target, bought an air mattress, and I think some like bathroom supplies. Literally threw it inside my front door, locked it, and went straight to the airport to fly home. <laughs> wow. Got my things packed at home. Mom bought a ticket. She flew back to Vegas with me. We blew up the air mattress. We went shopping. I had my first Vegas apartment, and she, she helped me get all set up. And uh, also bought a car in Michigan. Had that shipped to to Vegas. I don't know why we bought a car in Michigan. We just thought it'd be easier. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, had my had my car shipped to Michigan and everything uh, to to Las Vegas, and I was officially a Vegas showboy. Did you, was your mom there long enough to see you go in the show? She was. Or did she go yet. back home? She did go back home. Um, I believe she was still working at the time. I believe. I don't know. I can't remember. But she wasn't there for opening night. But she did. Because I, I had a, a few weeks between moving and all that and when I started. Um, so she just helped me get set up and then she went back. But my, na- my neighbors actually did come to see me for my opening night. That was nice. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Had neighbors, had they ever seen anything like this before? They had been in Vegas for a long time. So they had seen Vegas shows. I'm not sure if they had seen Jubilee, I, it, it, but they, they were really supportive. And yeah, it was really fantastic. Did your mom make it out to see the show ever? Oh, yeah. Uh, she's, she spent the entire winter with me uh, one year. Really? Yeah. What, was she as bedazzled as you were? Not bedazzled, but like, was she t- was taken in oh, by yeah. the magic when she saw the show? Oh, yeah. She, she couldn't believe it. She, she absolutely couldn't believe it. And that's a hard show to watch, like to find the person that you want to watch in the show and not, and not miss all the other things going on. I feel like, like she's going to yeah. look for her son out there and also like, oh, and there's a, a woman reclining on a swan. <laughs> there. Exactly, like, exactly. It would take a few times to see the show to be able to see who you want to watch. And then oh, like, you're going to see something different every time you watch that show. Yeah, you can't, you can't watch it just one time and think you've gotten it all. You can, you what did she think? Like, was she glad you dropped out of that school and went and did what oh, you yeah. did? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She, she, she saw that it was clearly no regrets. It was, it was definitely the right decision. Um, she knew that, I mean, and, I, and let me tell you, I get my love of rhinestones from my mother. So really? when she saw that show and saw how sparkly it was, she said, oh yeah, can I get one of those red hats? <laughs> she, she loves everything red. That's her sorority color. She's a Delta. She loves everything red. And she was, she just loved the show. She couldn't believe it. And she came backstage and, you know, if we did the tour and all that, when I, cause I used to be a tour guide as well. So she came back and, and saw everything backstage and she was just really just blown away by everything. Yeah. She, she Did, never even expected it. She had no idea what to expect when she saw the show. Yeah. Well, it's hard to describe. Like, like so you, you kind of like, you know it. what, just come see it. And yeah. then you just have to, you have to just you see it. You can say, yeah, there's a woman hanging, you know, singing on a swan, on a swan couch. <laughs> right. But until you see it, you're like, what? Yeah. I thought he was exaggerating. Right. Yeah. Like, no, no it's, just... beyond, it's beyond the exaggeration. You, yeah. you can't even do justice. How long yeah. did you do the show? Seven years. Seven years. Mm-hmm. And then you didn't just do the same track, I'm assuming, if 
from what, no. what I've heard of you playing every instrument at home, I can't no. imagine that you're going to do the same track for seven years. No. I, so I came, I came in and I was in the line and in like day one of rehearsal, I met Lara Preister, who was one of the other, who, in, who ended up being one of my partners um, and another, another principal uh, at the end. She, uh, she came into the Bluebell line and we just connected. Don't know, don't know what it was, don't know why it was. We were just like, right, hey, we got a lot of things in common. We're kind of goofy. We're both ballet kids. We should dance together. And this is before we even really knew we necessarily wanted to be principled or anything like that. We, we just thought we should partner together. I had done a bit on my cruise ship. She had done a bit in her background. So it was, we should, we should continue this. And then Scott um, used to be a, uh, who was a tech in the show and he used to be an adagio partner and he actually would teach the dancers adagio lifts in between shows. So Laura and I, mm -hmm. after we finished with rehearsals and we started in the show, we would go up, we had an hour and a half every day between the shows and we'd have our quick dinner, then we'd go and do lifting with Scott. Um, and so we, we got started getting pretty good at that. And then we did our first, first uh, Golden Rainbow Ribbon of Life as a, as a couple. And that was like really, really special for us because this, this kind of relationship just kind of came out of nowhere. It was so unexpected. I didn't go in there looking for a partner. I don't think she went in there looking for a partner, but we found one that we worked really, really well together um, on stage and off stage. We had really good chemistry. And so we, we did the first Ribbon of Life, Golden, Golden Rainbow Ribbon of Life. And then we did our first audition for principal six months later after we got into the show. And um, we did a pas de deux because we, we were had our heart set on the ballet track that smoke gets in your eyes. And it's on point. She's a ballerina. I'm a ballet boy. I did lots of pas de deux before. So we said, that's what we want. That's, that's our attainable, we can do this goal. And so we auditioned and we got it. And we were super, super happy. And we said, yay, look at us six months in and now we're, understanding the principles. That's really fantastic, happy for us. And then um, Fluff and Diane called us into the office after our first or second night doing Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. Uh, and they were like, right, really well done. It looks really good. Um, we'd also like to have you guys start understanding Love and S&M, which is your own choreography. So take some time, go put together some choreography. And when you're ready, we'll come have a look at it. Which, I mean, how cool is that? You get to not only do another part, but it's your own choreography. Because they realize that Jonah and Lara are not Mila and Alexi. They're not Brooke and Max. They are their own dancers. So it's nice to have someone who's supposed to be in a future spot do something that actually makes them look good and that fits yeah. their body types and their abilities. So uh, Scott and his wife, Stacy helped us with our choreography for our love and S&M and we showed it to Diane and, and Fluff and they were happy with it and so we started doing that part as well and it just kind of you know over the years we would get another part another part we auditioned for for principal um every six months and you know we'd be learning new lifts constantly and trying to push ourselves and challenge ourselves um and eventually a spot opened up for principal and I got it um and I had mm -hmm. It happened to be right when it was a uh, changeover time, cast changeover time. So I was able, I, at this point, I was already understanding most things as principal. Um, the only thing I wasn't really doing, I believe, was Samson Delilah. 
and I, I think um, the ballroom, dancing in the dark. I think that was that was the, the two things I didn't do yet. Um, I, I believe. So um, my, basically, my audition to get principal was doing Samson Delilah, and it happened to be when the entire cast was in rehearsals. So I got to do the audition with the entire cast on the set, climbing oh. all of that in front of everyone. Whoa. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah. um, I was doing it with my a, a childhood friend of mine who was also auditioning, um, Tim Johnson, and another dancer, Robert Selvin, who was often called my twin. And we always got confused for each other. It drove us up the wall. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I did the audition, um, surprised myself, surprised, surprised some others, um, and, and I got it. And I was very surprised because I had a lot of people saying, oh, you'll never get it. They already have one black principal. They're never going to have two black principals. Oh, you're gay. Oh, they'll put a, another white guy into it. Oh, there's this, there's that, there's that. And I had so many naysayers. And uh, I went up there and I just said, well, I'm going to just do my job. I'm going to work really hard. I've had great training. I've had great teachers. I'm going to use what they told, taught me and do my best. And all I can do is my best. And if I don't get it for any of those reasons, then so be it. But that's, you're not going to make me not try. So I got up there and I did my best and I got it. Um, okay. Which was, a, a, I mean, a, a shock to many people. <laughs> you, know, no matter, you know, you can say, oh, wait, I'm great. I'm the best. I'm this. But at the end of the day, there were things um, that could have prevented me from getting it. Um, or just, you know, sometimes it's just not the right time. We all know timing is a big thing. And yes, uh, there's three principal boys. Will I have been the right fit with the other two at this time? You know, that, that mm. all comes into play. So it's not necessarily even my ability. Sometimes it's, it's the look and we know it's the look. We've all been taken or not taken because of our look. Yeah. But there was a lot of realistic things up against me. And I was able to get past them all. And I remember Fluff saying, right, so you're the youngest principal. You're going to be in a room with older boys and you have to now be an example. Because being a principal at Jubilee wasn't just having the title. It was acting like one. As oh, well. It was being, I love it was that. being uh, a role model for the other dancers. It was setting an example and, and things like that. And not saying that they should look up to us because they want to be us, but it was, you know, we should, if there's something that shouldn't be happening, we shouldn't be the ones instigating problems or, or, you know, we should be setting good examples for everyone. So, you know, Fluff had this conversation because at the time I was 24 and I was the youngest male taken into the principal line ever. Wow. Um, I, believe, I believe Brooke Brown was 24 as well I could be wrong when she was taken into the female principal line and she was the youngest female taken into the principal line so we both were in that similar situation where we were the younger ones having to stand and hold our ground next to these more experienced dancers because you know I've always said sometimes I don't like looking at singers that are too young or principals that are too young they need to look like they have experience and there's a, a grandeur that comes with being a little bit older and knowing how just, to hold that stage. Which is so interesting because I think we're told like you've got this short life as a dancer so that young is always celebrated. But like I would much rather watch a seasoned performer. Yeah. And I've also been in shows when I've got some, a principal that's older and jaded and that 
tears down the, like they talk about how the show sucks or like I could be doing mm-hmm. this, honey. And they just, they, they can get really negative. So it's hard when you're young and you want to work hard. Like I feel like that thing of the age and being a good example, like I don't think that's modeled very well in a lot of companies. So that actually is really encouraging to hear that yeah. there's intention behind it instead of like, well, you've arrived. So go ahead and just bitch your way till you retire. You know, like yeah. you actually are responsible for kind of the, the etiquette and the morale backstage. If you're going to mm-hmm. be all pissy, then that sets the tone <clears throat> for the dressing room. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, and of course, like, you know, we all have those dancers. It's like, well, why don't you just leave if you're not happy? Like, just go. Yeah. And, you know, it was not saying that we couldn't have bad emotions. Like, we still were humans, but it was, you know, right. try to be a better example. But, you know, if we have a moment, we all have a moment. Of course, you know, there's also the diva attitudes that we've, we've all had. Right. It's a total breeding ground for diva. And that kind of show, it's kind of hard to resist. Exactly. You're celebrated all. (laughs) You're you're draped in $10,000 worth of crystals and feathers and and sequins. It's like, yeah, I'm a diva. (laughs) (laughs) So so it it, it was those moments, but we were still encouraged to, to, to be, you know, mature. Um, Mm. And, you know, I was in a room with Anthony and Anthony is a, was a, uh, policeman in the daytime. He was a Muay Thai fighter. He was wow. he was a lot of a lot of busy things. He was a lot of busy things, and still came to work every night, and still put on his his rhinestone jacket and did his job. And I and there, it's funny thing is speaking of like when I watched the show, I remember looking at Anthony compared to the other two principals at the time, other two males. And Justin and I, we were watching the show together. Um, the other job that I auditioned with, we we were kind of like, are those two principals? I don't, are they just boy? Is this the principal part or is this just boys' line part? And we weren't sure. We weren't yeah. sure. Anthony came out, and you knew Anthony was a principal. Mm. And it wasn't because he was kicking high and jumping across the stage. He was doing Samson. He was literally walking. I said, "That's a principal male. He owns the stage. He commands his space. That's what I want to be." Wow. I want to be someone that commands the stage like him. And. And I, I didn't try to be Anthony. Yeah. I don't want you to think I try, I try to be him. I would say I want that energy that he has when he steps on stage in whatever way I find it. Yeah. Because it's the same thing. You looked at Marlena. Marlena came out and she was Delilah. And when she came out, all eyes were on her. And that when she would be off and you'd see Patsy come out and be Delilah, all eyes were on Patsy. But it wasn't because Patsy was being Marlena. It was because Patsy was being a principal. Yeah. And it's that thing that you can't teach. You, 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 it has to be in you. Like you, you, you have to experience it. And sometimes you can't have that experience at 19. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was times that people gave, I mean, and sometimes you can, you, you never know. But like when, when Brooke became uh, the principal, like I said, she was quite young. Um, she came in, she came out and people were kind of like, oh, she's young and she became principal before I did. So I, I kind of saw this happening. Um, she became principal before I did. So people were saying, can she handle it? Is she mature enough? Um, not just personality, but sh- showmanship wise. Yeah. And I tell you what, Brooke came out and she did her last audition before principal. And I just said, it's, it's clear. She came up with such authority and such command of the stage it was, it was no question that she had what it took to deliver in the role. Um, and she continued to. So it, it was, 
it, it was such a hard thing to live up to because it wasn't just about dancing well. It was about owning the spot. Because I've seen other shows where you have principals who are really good dancers, beautiful technique, beautiful feet, high kicks, but you don't want to watch them. There's yeah. a girl in the back who's dancing less well, maybe has worse feet, lower kicks, but she's just living her best life. Mm. She's, she doesn't care yeah. who's watching her. She's doing it for everybody. And that's the girl who has the spark that, that draws your eye. Yeah. When you, and you, like you were taught things about etiquette and auditioning at school, but it is when you see it in front of you. Cause I remember watching the show before I got put in and you know, 150 people in the cast and your my eye and it, the principals did that, but there'd be someone in the line, Kathy Minetti, who I'm trying to get on here. My eye. And that's hard. Everybody's wearing the same costume. Like what, mm-hmm. you know, what is it? Cause I don't think I even was aware of what stage presence was until I saw that and went, Oh my gosh. Like, and I would, my, I would find her anywhere on the stage. It didn't matter if she was exiting. I would just see her. There was something that like, okay, I want that. And you can't like, I'm not going to be her, but there this thing about stage presence that nobody told me about <laughs> until I saw it. I went, what is it that captivates you? It's not just that they're smiling bigger. There is that whole, like you said, living your best life yeah. night after night, show after show. Not showing that your back is in pain, your ankles hurting, the headdress yeah. weighs 20 pounds. Right. I'm thinking what I'm going to have for dinner after this. Yeah. So how, after seven years, did you decide to be done or what was that? What made you leave Vegas and that show eventually? So after seven years, they, they decided to redo the show and they brought oh, in uh, Frank Gatson. And there was lots, lots of rumors going around about, you know, this is happening. This is happening. First, it was Tiger Martina doing the show and then blah, 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 blah. And so I was hearing these rumors and I went straight to Diane's office. I said, hey, Diane, I don't like this whole rumor thing. I have heard that tomorrow there is a meeting because the show is closing and Tiger Martina is redoing the show. And Diane said, what did you hear from where? And she had no idea. Oh. And I, because I didn't like the rumors, I would, I'm just a very direct person. And I said, you know me, Diane, I don't want to sit and do the gossiping. I just come straight to you. And she had no idea. The next day, so we all get to, and she calls in the person, the people who, who had, who I had told her had told me to see where they had gotten the information from. And it, you know, it was just, you know, bzz, 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 bzz. and um, so the next day we come into work and we're all expecting to see, you know, meeting at six, six thirty on stage and it was no sign. It was like, okay, no meeting today. Interesting. The next day we get there and there's a meeting. So apparently the meeting had been that day that we thought, but it wasn't with us. It was to tell Diane to blindside Diane and say, hey, guess what? Your show's getting a remake. So she had no idea until I went to her and told her, hey, I've heard this rumor. And I'm happy that I did that because I like, could you imagine you've given your life to the show for as long as she has, and then they just decide to redo it without even considering you. Oh. So we had the meeting and they brought in this guy and he really didn't know what he was doing. He had no idea. Um, and we were very concerned because as you know, Jubilee has seen families come in. They've seen a man come in, meet a woman, have a baby, the baby comes back, dances in mom's costume, dances her same track. It's not just some show we did. It's yeah. a legacy. It's a part of the city of Las Vegas. It was the last standing proper Vegas spectacle. Um, it meant a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so to see someone that come in that just didn't know what a cabaret was, and we'll never forget, he he was talking and giving this speech, and he was saying like, "Well, yeah, you know, I'm I'm Beyonce's creative director, and I know all about showgirls. Beyonce was a showgirl in Dreamgirls, 
and you can feel the exactly. Every technician, every wardrobe, every dancer said, oh, so you have no idea what's happening here. If you think that dream girls are showgirls, not even similar. Oh. And I mean, yeah, it it hurt. It hurt. That just said to us, the show's being ruined now. The show's going to be ruined. Yeah. And we would ask questions like, right, when is the show closing? Well, I don't know. Okay, how long is it going to close for? Oh, I don't know. What's the theme of the new show? Oh, I don't know. When we rehearse, will we be rehearsing nighttime hours so that we're keeping our basically the same schedule because we have husbands, wives, kids, second jobs, etc., other responsibilities that may not let us be gone every day for six weeks, you know, nine to five or whatever. Well, I don't know. When will you know something? Oh, I don't know. And me, as you can tell, I don't like to speak very much or speak my mind. So I was one answering, answering, asking all of these questions um, on behalf of my cast, who was my family? Yeah. Because I was concerned about not only my well-being, but all of our well-being. And people yeah. were afraid to ask. And it became kind of a shoot the messenger situation where I spoke up on behalf of everyone. And then I was asked to not be a part of the new show. By the same wow. guy that wants to bring in more African-American performers. So he fired one of his few African-American performers. Oh, that's my um, third cringe of this interview. <laughs> yeah, well, after oh. we had our audition that wasn't an audition. We really? had, like, oh, no, it's just a class to see where everyone's at with their levels and whatnot. But it was an audition. And I think Diane said she counted something like 80-something um, HR infractions like the comments that he made to us was just a, it was a disgusting environment he talked to us like like we're like well this is a corporate environment i don't know if you know that or not like we this isn't just some commercial we're shooting you know in, in a studio this is like a commercial thing you can't talk about explicit things you can't use you, you can't say mf you're not samuel l jackson you can't speak to us that way this isn't the environment and i almost left out of the not audition class because I was just so offended by this stranger addressing us in such a vulgar and disgusting way, um, which, which apparently behind closed doors, he doesn't speak that way. Apparently one-on-one, he's very kind, very nice. Um, but in this environment, it was kind of like he was kind of puffing up his chest, kind of asserting dominance. And for me, I'm like, well, you can't demand respect. You have to earn respect and treat us with respect and then we'll give you respect. Um, so it didn't, it didn't work on me. I just wasn't impressed. And then for me, the killer was when we had to go by at the end and for the camera, say our names and Zodiac signs. And I said, well, this isn't being taken seriously then. Okay. If you need to know my Zodiac sign, this is, has nothing to do with the show. Yeah. Um, and I, I, he said, apparently when I said it, I said my name and rolled my eyes after I said Sagittarius. And I said, well, yeah, because I was wasting my time. Um, and because after he had Diane fire me, he made her do dirty work. I asked him to meet with him. I said, you never had a conversation with me. Why are you firing a black dancer who you want? When you want to have more black dancers in your show, I don't understand this. This is very backwards. You're firing a black principal dancer. So someone who's actually worked their way and clearly worked hard or I wouldn't have gotten the position, but you're firing someone. You're trying to make it better for black dancers and you're firing a black dancer that had worked really hard to get their position. This, this makes zero sense to me. So I'm just curious to know uh, what your motivation was so that I can learn something from this experience because if not, then it's just a wasted uh, opportunity to learn. 
And he's like, oh, so is it that you want your job back? And I said, no, 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 it's not that I want my job back. I'm learning something. Mm. And um, he was like, oh, that's really mature. And it's, I didn't expect that. And I said, well, you know, that's why I'm here. I'm here to talk to you because you've made assumptions about me clearly and there's something that needs to be cleared. Um, so we had a conversation and I, I really saw how much he did not know what he was doing. He admitted to not knowing what he was doing. He admitted to thinking that it would be a lot easier than what the pressure was that we all put on him. When he got there and saw all of us looking back at him and really realized what we expected of our legacy, mm. he panicked. And then he had someone like me saying, but it's not good enough. Your answers aren't good enough. But what about this? But what about that? He didn't know how to handle that. So he just said, right, let's just not have him around because he's going to challenge me and I can't give them answers. The rest of them won't ask me questions, but he's going to ask me questions publicly and I can't answer them. And at the, end of the, at the end of our conversation, we had a very nice conversation. It wasn't at all disrespectful. It wasn't at all rude. I said, I don't know who this man is I'm talking to. It was not the man in that class talking about vulgar things that I won't even repeat on this, part, on this cast because it was just so inappropriate. It, it's disgusting. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, don't, I, was like, I don't know who this man is. And then at the end, he's like, well, I think I really misread you before. And I think I made a mistake. Oh. And I just said, well, okay. And he goes, and then, you know, Fluff and, Di- or Fluff and Suzanne at the time talked to me and they said, we heard you talk to Frank last night. Would you be thinking about coming back to the show? You know, if we asked him, I said, well, I've been here for seven years. I've worked very hard. I didn't plan to leave the show. So yes, if the situation is correct, I would. Um, and then, you know, he played his, his games, his, you know, dominance games and, Gina and Ryan called me and said, hey, I know that you're not in the show. And like the day after the Jubilee closed and rehearsals were starting sometime, people still didn't know when things were going to happen. And Gina said, hey, can you go on a ship for me tomorrow? Um, a guy didn't show up and we need a replacement. And I know that you're available and I believe that you could you would do justice in the role because it's a, it's a solo role. And I said, okay, sure. Um, and I called Diana, I said, hey, just so you guys know, I called her and Suzanne, I said, just so you know, I know that there's still some question of if I'm coming back to the show or not, and he hasn't made up his mind yet, but I'm leaving in a day to go join a ship for Gina and Ryan. And then suddenly the next morning I get a phone call. Hey, so Frank wants you to come back to the show. And I said, so it's all a game. Ooh, it's mm. all a game. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and take Gina's offer. Um, someone that's treated me with respect. <laughs> yeah. Someone that values me as a performer. Um, so I, I chose is- to go that route. What a sad way to end, like not to have a choice. And like, I'm gonna leave the show, like the show's still going, it's in good hands, I'm gonna go do mm-hmm. something else. But just to have it be like, this, this whole cast, it doesn't even know what's happening next and not to get to have a, that, yeah. like what you could have as a goodbye. That's just, that's really sad. Yeah. Like you guys were it robbed. Was, it was like, such an uncertain ending and the people that were staying were like, but what are we staying for? And then during rehearsals, I was getting all these messages like, you wouldn't believe what we're doing now. And we're just stealing things from other shows. We're stealing costumes. We're stealing choreography. We're stealing your choreography. He had me teach choreography that you choreographed on the, for a solo for someone else. And he lied and said that he talked to you about it and that you say he could use your choreography. And I said, no, he never talked to me about that. Oh, he didn't actually use my choreography. And they said, well, he, that's what he, he lied and said. And he made her teach it to the entire cast. And it became this, this whole nightmare. And Lara, my partner, she said, oh, God, thank God you're not here because you would have left. So you wouldn't have wow. put up with it. Yeah. 
Because oh, at the time when I left, Laura had become a principal as well. And it was to the point where the principals were teaching the entire cast their parts. And it was like, well, I'm going to see if anyone else does it in a different way. So she's teaching her parts to other guys, the other, other girls. And then he's like, oh, well, maybe we'll have you and you do it instead. It's like, so you're just stripping the principals of, of their, their hard work for positions, but then saying that you don't want any hierarchy in the show. You don't like that. You don't like hierarchy in a show of 84 dancers. It's like, well, guess what? That's what cabaret is. Yeah. You, have, you hire and a guy that doesn't work like that hard. Yeah. He doesn't like topless dancers. So why, why are you creating a cabaret if you don't like topless dancers? Basically, he recreated the show, the, the topless showgirls, the tall nudes had nothing to do. They, they, mm. I feel like they sat in the dressing room the entire show. Besides did you ever see the already, show? I, I, I did see it. I did see the new show. When I came back from the ship, um, I went straight there. It was like, I think my first night in Vegas, I was back at the show. How and was Diane that? came out to the, to, the, to the theater and she said, um, oh, you're back in town. Like she just, I don't know, just convenient coincidence that she came out when I was sitting there. And I was sitting on the side where she would sit and watch the show and she saw me when we spoke and she said, are you thinking about coming back to the show? And I said, well, you know, let me watch it first and see, see what, what it looks like now. And she goes, oh, you haven't seen it. I said, no, I just got back today. And she goes, well, it's gotten better. And I was like, oh, dang, okay. And that kind of scared me. And then I remember watching the show and, and just kind of being like, not having that same, wow, wow, wow. It was kind of that same. It was, that, it was more of a, oh, huh. And the audience had the same reaction. The audience had just like silence. After something would happen, you, you kind of just go, what, what happened? I don't know what just happened. And then at one point, a person came down the pool with the fairy godmother and she gives this whole speech, the fairy godmother, because now Jubilee has a fairy godmother because he copied it from the Wiz. And he gave this, she gave this whole speech and she's on the finale starburst, which normally comes down, goes back up. It is a moment for the people in the back of the house to see one last little bit of like extra glamour. The girl literally comes down, she blows some kisses, does some porter bras, the lights come up around her, the lights go back down, she goes up into the ceiling. That's it. If you were sitting in the front, you probably missed her. Yeah. She comes down now and she's talking for about five minutes. And if you're in the front of the theater, you're turned around looking at the back of her, you can't see her at all because she's facing the back half of the theater. So I was like, you're trying to use these things and find new creative ways to use these things. It's like these things are being used exactly as it needed to be. These moments were happening exactly as it needed to happen. The show was already put together. You didn't have to change any of this. You're, you're trying to create moments that don't need to be there. And I just remember the show just being confusing. It was a bad ripoff of, of The Wiz for no reason. There was costumes that looked like they had been made or bought from H&M. And then mm. you, they didn't make any new showgirl costumes at all. They pulled out some old ones from Hallelujah Hollywood, but they, they didn't, he, he didn't improve the show in any way. And it, it, after the show, I just remember just saying, no, I don't, I, my time is done. Yeah. Like Diane was expecting me to want to come back. I was hoping I'd want to go back. And after I was just like, this isn't the show that I love. This isn't yeah. Jubilee. I don't know what this is. Were they trying to just update it or change yes. like storyline or kept the frame and just try to make it cooler or? The thing is he tried to make a storyline that went through the entire entirety of the show. 
Oh. Whereas before it was in four separate acts. Yeah. But he tried to tie in a reason that Miss Jubilee was going on the Titanic and was going through Samson and Delilah time. Like it just, it, it made no sense. It, yeah. it, and it, it, like, you, you can't tie that together. It's not meant to go together. So again, yeah. you're trying to make something that doesn't need to be made. Yeah. So it, it just got very, just very difficult and confusing. And, you know, and that, not, not, not to say for the dancers, the dancers were great dancers that he hired. You know, mm-hmm. again, this comes down to the creative direction, not the talent. Yeah. Um, and then you how have- How long did it run? Did, how long did it survive, I want to say? I want to say a year and a half. Okay, that's longer than I thought. Because I, I was I there they, for the second to last show of Jubilee, and it was sad. But I yeah. didn't. I want. I wanted to come back and see the other one, but I kind of was hearing rumors, and I go, I don't want to be sad <laughs> to yeah. go see if it's not if it's going to be what I was hearing. And I and I feel bad because I know those dancers are you know putting everything into it, and it's mm-hmm. not the dancers. It's not the talent, like you said. It's just sometimes there's you know maybe changing a song here or so or the quality of the costumes if they're run down but not to mess with something that well and every song became just another beyonce song it was either a song from the wiz or a beyonce song it it literally felt like oh i don't know what to do here put a beyonce song in there that's fine that's fine so what did you and since you knew that wasn't and we're gonna have to wrap up here i could you know always say i could talk for 10 hours yeah. So you said not this. Did you say, okay, what else is there? Or did you already have some connections of where you went next? So after, right after um, Jubilee closed, I called my friend Alexandra Freeman, who had been in Jubilee with me as a nude. And she had gone to the Moulin Rouge a uh, year. No, a couple years before, uh, three years before me, maybe. Um, and I flew out there to audition. And I, I said, when are the auditions? And she said, oh, they're next week. And I said, because I feel like I had already met with Janet at this point. And I said, I feel like I would, again, be the showboy type, the cabaret type. I feel like I have a good look for the show. I think I could do well in the show. I'm going to come audition. So I flew out, audition. Janet had nice things to say. She said, we don't have a, a job for you right now because everyone has permanent contracts. However, when a spot opens up, if you're still interested, stay in touch with us. We'll let you know when it, it, when is possible. So I got back from Paris. I think like two days later, Jean Ann calls me. Hey, can you go on a cruise ship? And this is, this is how that all like got into the middle. It was like, can you go on a cruise ship? And I was, she was like, it goes out of Marseille. I know you were just in France. You love Ooh. France. Your roommate's <laughs> going to be from Paris and you can practice your French. And I said, oh, sneaky Jean Ann. Sneaky, sneaky, <laughs> sneaky. Um, and so I, I said, okay, well, well why not? Because I knew I, I knew the... The rehearsals from, like I said, a new rehearsals were going to be starting. Well, I think rehearsals had just started for the new show at this point, for the new Jubilee. And so that's when I called and said, hey, I'm going to go on the ship, blah, blah, blah. So I went and did the ship. I came back. I was doing uh, the understudy for the male soloist at Pinup at the Stratosphere. And then I got the call in October for... Moulin Rouge. So I had four months to prepare. So I got my stuff together and it happened that the last night of Jubilee was the day before I was flying out to Paris. So it felt kind of perfect because I was able to go see my friends one last time, um, see the whatever last version of the show, say goodbye to to all my partners and, and everything, and then go start this new unplanned adventure. I never dreamed of living in Paris. 
had never, it was never my like long time childhood fantasy. My childhood fantasy was living in Vegas, being a principal. I did that when I was 24. So I was like new experience, something unexpected. And then Alex is one of my absolute best friends, um, especially in show business. Uh, her and my partner, Lara, uh, were like two of my like best girls. Um, so going to work with Alex again was a huge benefit because I knew I'd know someone who I, I'd be close with um, yeah. and who'd have my back. So I came over and I landed one day, started rehearsal the next day, all on my own. It wasn't a group huh. of people to get to know. It was just me and Eric teaching me the choreography. And four years later, I'm still here. Wow. Now I'm understudy for the three male soloist dancers and for the male principal singer. I keep saying this after I've interviewed people at the current Lido and you're all on hold right now because of COVID, but like, I'm so excited for things to open up and come see the show. And I'm like, so excited to see you in there as a principal after hearing <laughs> your story, just feels like I would even be more giddy to get to see the show. Cause I saw it twice. I went two years, three years ago. And then I went back for the Bluebell reunions and we went mm -hmm. to the Lido and the Moulin Rouge. And it was, it makes me so happy that those are still in existence as like mm -hmm. Vegas, everything went away. But I think I'm like, I'm going to, Paris just to see the shows just to know they still exist yeah the first time I went I made a another trip around it because but that was the main thing is I just felt like I need to see this because I don't know if these will be there mm -hmm. and I know like right now you guys are all on hold and it's been since March and you're gonna one day get back on that stage but what a challenge that will be for your body to get yeah. back into yeah that kind of shape again or just getting the brain to go back and do you even remember the choreography that I feel like it's in there somewhere or it'll come back as soon as you get in rehearsal or is that going to be a hard thing to pull out of the deeper uh, recesses the of the brain on, I think the music think so? yeah I I forget what I had for lunch but if you if you put on <laughs> disco from Jubilee I could still do it I put on Copa de la Vida from Gina and Ryan on my first ship 80 years ago I could I'd still start shaking it <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like, yeah, I put, I found the video for Hello Hollywood and at first I'm like, I don't remember this. And then after the second time, my body goes, oh yeah, yep. you've done this. And if you've done a show seven years, it's definitely like in the, in the mm -hmm. banks. So what do you look forward to the most of when you get to get back to work again? Like, what are you looking forward to? Uh, I miss performing, not just dancing. I like performing. I like the audiences faces i like having the energy i like giving it my all living my best life like i said um that that's what i think i'm looking forward to the most it's just being able to get out there and make someone smile mm. um oh my gosh yeah I we're gonna that need that when we finally get to be entertained to entertain and be entertained we're, people mm -hmm. are gonna be craving this yeah to just have that little escape and that joy and that like grandiose so I, I do have to end eventually because I feel like I want to do part three, four, and five because you have so many ways we could go with your story. <laughs> but what stuck out was the cringe ones, like when people can say something that could have just made you, never mind, I'm not going to do it because if people don't believe in you or like some of the people that have spoken to your life negatively, but then there's people like your mom and then your, some of your, your mentors that that really made a difference. I'm thinking a lot of people listening to this, if we're teaching dance or we're responsible for any human's development, of how important those words are to like, if you know, you could have just said, no, I guess I'm not gonna do that. But when you've got those people like, oh, I see, a, like the one teacher, like he's a dancer. 
-hmm. like how that, like if someone's saying that could actually change the trajectory of your life, if someone sees something that you may not have seen yet, I'm thankful for that person that spoke that over you. And the ones that said the opposite, I feel like some of those people have just enough. And then whatever that made you want to listen to and play every instrument, there's something unique in that kind of a character in a kid that that is good. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go try this thing. Now I've done this, or I want to be, I want to learn lifts. I feel like there's something that makes or breaks that people succeed in this business. Mm -hmm. Some of it's the voices that spoke into it. Some of it's just like that. I'm going to go do it. And you have to have that belief in yourself and not the arrogance that usually traps a lot of people from getting any further. Yeah. Yeah. You have been sheer delight to talk to. I had several moments that I was actually wiping tears. Some of the things that made me laugh, <laughs> but then also there's such beauty. Like there's, there's the both and in your story. It's, you know, the hard stuff and the, the things that just are like, who gets to live this life? Yeah. It's like, and the bad things come with the good things. Like, you know, yes. Am I sad that, it, my Jubilee experience ended in such an awkward, like, wait, we don't want you to continue, but wait, will you come back actually? Because actually we, we made a mistake. Like, yeah, that's like an extra drama, but you know, now I'm living in Paris. I never, never planned to live here. I learned a new language and I've had a whole new experience of a different culture that I never expected to, to learn and be a part of. Wow. So when so I come visit, like, let's go have some, let's go have dinner. Yeah. And <laughs> talk in person. Cause I'm like, I'm so like that whole life is just such a fascinating, beautiful thing. And like the fact that you are embracing it instead of, you know, no, this is just what I do. Oh, yeah. I love your whole attitude of gratitude, attitude of gratitude for what you've been able to do and that you're still going to do. Yeah. And I, I'll I've keep following your career. I've been to have people in my life to give me the best encouragement, even when it was my negative side. Yeah. I, like yeah. The, the people that, that said nay pushed me just as much as the ones that said yay. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. when, you know, when I had that person saying, you're going to fail, you can't be a professional yet. Six months later, I was a soloist. Yeah. Yeah. And then three, four years later, I'm a principal. So that, that saying, you can't do it. I said, oh, oh, can't I? Yeah. Well, let me show you. Then. And there are the people that hear that and then that it's done. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you have to have a little bit of tough skin to be able to do what we do, but that you do need those voices that believe in you to yeah kind and the of, thing yeah. is yeah have tough skin but at the same time go home cry about it do what you mm. need to do have a tub of ice cream but then when you're done doing that get up and prove them wrong oh my gosh you're so speaking my language there has to be time for the tears there has to be time yeah. for reality and then you go do the next thing yeah there, there's nothing wrong with with being emotional and and, and having someone's words actually hurt because words do hurt yeah and the the thing is what you do with it and it's taking those hurtful words and and getting up and and saying but that's not defining who i am and that's not all that there is and you saying that i can't do that it's just it's the exact reason that i went out and learned how to do it yeah and learned to do it better than you Mm-hmm. you know we like, will end on that note <laughs> that was- <laughs> <laughs> exactly so all you young people listen i hope that encourages you and all all of us who have lived this life and celebrate like how everybody's come across different you know come into this place a little bit different but that same spirit of like resilience and uh belief that you you have something to offer all right i will now call you friend this is a joy to talk to you so take care of yourself and i'm going to keep following so when the when the show opens i plan to be there soon after and celebrate the fact that you guys get to keep that legacy going. 
Yes, we have to. All right. Thank you, Jonah. Thank you.